0: Welcome to the Eric Erickson Show podcast, Hour 2. Greetings, conversationalists. Welcome. It is Eric Erickson here. Glad to have you with me. The phone number is 877-973-7425 if you want to be on the program. If you weren't here in the first hour, I hope you'll consider texting DATA to 33777 and get my daily email. We will be pushing out uh, my opening monologue because it really does need more attention. These things that are happening around the world that are directly impacting uh, the United States and its national security terror attack in in Nigeria against us, uh, against our interests. Four of our embassy personnel killed, others missing. And none of this stuff gets highlighted because the national media focuses on the squabbling in Washington. And this stuff is deeply impactful as the world is slowly going through a realignment uh, with Xi Jinping and China trying to lure people into their sphere. So I really hope you'll get it, share it with your friends so people can can consider what's going on. Text data to 33777. Now we've got to move to the presidential race. This is breaking news. Ron DeSantis is going to announce he's running for president next week. Tim Scott has already sent out a save the date for May 22nd. So we expect him to announce. uh, We expect DeSantis to announce shortly. There's a Pence Super PAC coming. So expect his announcement probably after DeSantis' announcement. DeSantis has to announce soon. A clock is ticking, so to speak. The Federal Election Commission sets the rules by which campaigns must disclose uh, their fundraising, what they're raising, what they're spending. DeSantis has in large part been on a book tour and has been able to avoid having to uh, do all the disclosures and fundraising and the like in large part because the book tour covered everything. So the book tour could send him to a bookstore in Iowa. And the book company is covered it. And he's going to sell books. He's going to make money. They're going to be happy. Uh, This is what campaigns do. Democrats and Republicans both do it. They both scream foul when the other does it, but they all do it. It's not really that big of a deal. But there's a quirk in federal election rules. You are allowed, and they probably need to update the the, the amount of money, but it's $5,000. You are allowed to spend... $5,000 to explore running for office. That money applies to a Senate run. It applies to a congressional run. It applies to a presidential run. So if you want to spend $5,000 testing the waters, and that's what the phrase is called, money to test the waters, you can do it. And you don't have to file a disclosure with the FEC. You don't have to do anything like that. However, If you spend more than $5,000, you must announce by filing paperwork. You must take steps to tell the FEC you're exploring running for president. That tends to be you file an exploratory committee. So up to $5,000, you do nothing. $5,000 and a penny. You got 15 days to file with the FEC. The clock is ticking on DeSantis because he's moved his staff out of the Florida Republican Party headquarters and he's beginning to pay staff separately uh, as opposed to the Florida Republican Party. He's going to run up against the $5,000 rule very, very quickly when you're paying salaries and rent and all that stuff, uh, which means the clock is ticking and you got 15 days. Once you get to $5,000 and a penny, you got 15 days. And the press reports are that it will happen next week. It's a logical guess whether it's sourced or not because of the 15-day rule from when all this stuff started happening. I believe, though, along the way that uh, the DeSantis team, intentionally or not, they have laid some traps. And I think the press... And because the Trump team looks at the press report so intently, I think perhaps the Trump team itself might have fallen into a trap. Let me explain this. I want you to go back to a story I ridiculed at the time it happened on April 6th. On April 6th, Henry Gomez and Matt Dixon at NBC News put out a story on Ron DeSantis and the headline is this, Ron DeSantis' long-haul strategy against Trump comes into view. Although he hasn't yet announced a presidential bid, the Florida governor's team has already had internal discussions about delegate strategy. Ron DeSantis' team is already plotting out a strategy to run against Donald Trump. The plan focuses less on making a quick splash in places like Iowa or New Hampshire and more on outlasting the former president in a battle for Republican convention delegates. Even though it's early and DeSantis isn't officially a candidate yet, in talks behind the scenes, an expanded map is viewed as one of the keys to victory, three sources close to the governor said. There have been multiple conversations about delegates and how they are picked in various states across the country, A DeSantis' advisor said. One thing we are looking at is that Trump can be beat on the delegate portion of all this. He's never been good at that. Another DeSantis political advisor said there's been internal conversation about delegate strategy. Staffers expected to lead the effort include Ryan Tyson, a longtime Florida GOP pollster who played a crucial role in DeSantis's 19-point re-election victory last year, and Jeff Rowe, a longtime Republican operative who led Ted Cruz's 2016 presidential campaign, now advising the DeSantis Super PAC never back down. What NBC News suggested was a reimagining of the 20 or the 2008 Rudy Giuliani strategy. Rudy Giuliani knew he would not perform well in Iowa because of his liberal social views. He knew he would not perform well in South Carolina for the same reason. So he wanted to go in New Hampshire and bounce out of that and run around the country and collect delegates and make a fight going into the convention. But in 2008, Rick Santorum made a big splash in Iowa. And then you had John McCain start to make big splashes around the country and picked up so much momentum, he blew Rudy Giuliani out of the water. Even though at this point in time in 2007, just like we are at this point in time in 2023, Rudy Giuliani was dominant in the polls. Rudy Giuliani was leading everyone in the polls. And Rudy Giuliani decided to do the delegate strategy to bypass Iowa and South Carolina because of the social conservative issues there, and he lost, blown out of the water. Never even made it, I think, to Iowa. I think he withdrew ahead of time. And he was the frontrunner right now at this very moment of May of 2007. Rudy Giuliani was the frontrunner. He never even made it to Iowa. And here comes NBC News. This story, again, it was dated April 6th. We talked about it at the time. The story from NBC News is that Ron DeSantis is going to do the Rudy Giuliani strategy, but this time make it work. The problem, of course, as I told you at the time, is these people don't actually have sources inside the DeSantis camp. The DeSantis team was not doing that. I knew the DeSantis team was not doing that because I have sources in the DeSantis camp. Mark Caputo was NBC News' reporter covering Florida and politics. NBC News separated with Mark Caputo because Mark Caputo uh, was openly tweeting an, an Instagram story about evicting a deadbeat tenant. And the left got mad and made it, it didn't sound like he was cold and heartless. He parted ways with NBC. They should have never because Mark Caputo is a very well-sourced reporter. So while his former employer, NBC News, is telling us DeSantis is going to avoid Iowa and New Hampshire and collect delegates instead, this is the headline from today by Mark Caputo in The Messenger, where he landed after NBC. The Florida governor has $100 million in funding behind him and may visit all 99 counties in Iowa. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis views Iowa as such a make-or-break state for his presidential bid, that he's considering a plan to campaign across all 99 of its counties insiders familiar with his thinking tell the messenger as the first presidential contest the iowa caucuses play a pivotal and unpredictable role in presidential nominations but they take on outsized importance in 2024 Donald Trump is ahead in the polls with a double-digit lead over DeSantis, who in turn is well ahead of a handful of third-tier candidates. So if DeSantis loses Iowa, it could give Trump an aura of inevitability and a sense of momentum that leads to a cascade of victories that make him the de facto nominee. If DeSantis prevails, however, it could set the stage for a two-man race headed into New Hampshire's primary. Advisors have privately acknowledged to allies and donors who shared the thinking of the Trump and DeSantis campaign with The Messenger. DeSantis' team is also heavily focused on New Hampshire. He visited it Friday. His advisors have privately acknowledged he would need to win this second state just to stay alive. Both campaigns agree the scenario could lead to a prolonged battle across a dozen states leading up to a March 19th primary showdown for both men in Florida. DeSantis and his super PAC, they've got $100 million. They've started a hiring binge in 19 states. They've devoted $10 million for field operations and up to 80 full and part-time staff. The evangelicals in Iowa are flirting with DeSantis. Bob Vander Plaats, good dude. Really like Bob uh, a lot. Uh, he's been very kind to me over the years. He's a very good guy. Uh, and he had dinner with DeSantis and his wife. And he says that DeSantis is in it to win Iowa. Here's a quote, not from Vander Plaats, but from some anonymous source. Ron is basically going uh, to move to Iowa. He's a 44-year-old Navy vet, former college Division one baseball player. He's a machine. Trump is 46, and it shows. Iowa's going to see it with her own eyes when Ron does the full Grassley while Trump's playing golf. Like some retiree. What's the full Grassley? Chuck Grassley very famously visits every single county in Iowa every year. Chuck Grassley is like 90 years old and visits every county in Iowa every year. DeSantis says he's gonna do this. Now, here's the here's the thing, and this is the bottom line is that the media for the last two months has been telling us what DeSantis is going to do, and it's the exact opposite of what DeSantis is going to do. They've entertained the idea he wasn't even going to run. Well, he's going to start running next week officially. He's got to because of the FEC clock. But the stories that have leaked out over the last couple of minutes not sourced to people within the DeSantis campaign. If you listen and you read very carefully, it's people... In the orbit of DeSantis, not necessarily people familiar with this thinking, but people familiar with the campaign thinking, which is a completely different thing. They've been seeding these stories about what DeSantis is going to do, and they got it all wrong. The Trump team talks regularly to people. You all laugh about Maggie Haberman at the New York Times. Trump loves her. Trump leaks stuff to Maggie Haberman. He views Maggie Haberman as a reliable person he can embed information with. He reads the newspapers. Trump listens to the news. When reporters start telling these things, he starts plotting. And all of these stories have come out about what DeSantis is going to do, and it turns out they're all wrong. He has laid traps that reporters fell into, and I suspect they're hoping the Trump team has fallen into. Turns out the man is going to make Iowa and New Hampshire ground zero for his campaign, not do the delegate count NBC said he was going to do. And that fundamentally changes things and how money will be spent on the ground. And the Trump team the last two months, has been convinced DeSantis was going to do a Giuliani strategy, and they haven't had to worry. Now suddenly, they got to worry. I keep having friends tell me they realized I was right. Every time you wash sheets from Bowling Branch, they get softer and softer. They're the most luxurious sheets, the highest quality, incredible craftsmanship with just unmatched softness. 100% traceable organic cotton. It gets softer with every wash. I tell you guys that it's true. I can tell you it's a big difference, and I have bought different pairs of sheets to try to find some best. I keep coming back to my Bowling Brand sheets. They're incredible. They're buttery to the touch, super breathable. They're perfect for cooler weather and warmer weather. Why the drape? You actually feel like you've got something of substance on you so you can snuggle in, but you don't get overwhelmingly hot or in the during the summertime, and it's just the perfect weight under the blanket as well during the wintertime. I love Boland Branch sheets. They're so luxurious. They're loved by four U.S. presidents. Got over 10,000 raving reviews right now. Get 15% off your first order when you use promo code ERIC, E-R-I-C-K, at Bolandbranch.com. That's BowlingBranch, B-O-L-L-A-N-D, Branch.com. The promo code is ERIC, E-R-I-C-K. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Greetings. Welcome. It's Eric Erickson here. The phone number, 877-973-7425. Um, I hang on. Uh I um well I, I got a um <laughs> I can't remember the guy's name. Oh, yes, okay. Had to Google him. Method of my madness here. First, got to tell you, this hour is brought to you by First Liberty Building and Loan. So they reached out to me the other day and said they've got bandwidth right now. If you need access to capital, set of $750,000 or more, if $250,000 or more, they've got the bandwidth right now to help you if you need it. If you're buying a building, building a building, growing a franchise, buying a franchise, whatever, First Liberty has been doing this since the 90s. They might be able to help you. Go to FirstLibertyGA.com. Businesses only, not for individuals, businesses, 250000 or more, FirstLibertyGA.com. So I had to go. I couldn't even remember the guy's name. Uh, 33rd governor of North Dakota, uh, Douglas Burgum. He is thinking of running for president of the United States. And you're wondering who? I never heard of the guy. He's getting a team of consultants together. Uh, The rumor is he is uh, thinking about it. And I don't know that he can do it. He is kind of squishy, not really ideologically conservative, uh, just a run-of-the-mill Republican. Everybody these days is thinking they want to run for for the White House. Uh, And, and, you know, there's got to be some lingering frustration. This guy is kind of like, what was his name, John Huntsman? John Huntsman, um, so Burgum, he, he he doesn't like the traditional family stance of the GOP, uh, is opposed to uh, fighting about against transgenderism, uh, wants North Dakota become carbon neutral, wants to get rid of fossil fuels, even though he claims he wants to maintain the industry, he wants to transition the state away. Um, very bizarre and mixed up. Um, I just... Um, I'm just, I'm, I'm perplexed by how this guy thinks he can run for president. Um, but everybody these days, I guess, wants to explore running for president. It's just kind of silly. Um, but they all do it these days. Uh, the Democrats, of course, really would like other people to run for president as well. One of them who's having a moment is Pete Bootedge Edge. I've got this hagiographic hey, story in uh, Wired magazine. They don't even ask him anything about being Secretary of Transportation. And there are some truly bizarre quotes from the reporters, uh, or from the reporter in the story. I I mean, it it just kind of blows my mind that this it's not even like an objective piece. It it is hagiography for Pete Buttigieg. They just love him so much they can't bring themselves to be critical of him, let me just read you. This is one of the sentences in the actual story. Fortunately, he was willing to devote yet another apse in his cathedral mind to making his ideas about three mighty themes, neoliberalism, masculinity, and Christianity, intelligible to me. This is really a bizarre piece, and the left is getting very, very Defensive about just how much they love this guy. They can't, they cannot bring themselves to criticize him. But you know, one thing I did learn in here is that Buttigieg's father was a Marxist scholar and a a devotee to Bernie Sanders. Fascinating, fascinating um, that his dad was a Marxist. you got Barack Obama's mentor was a Marxist. Pete Buttigieg's father was a Marxist. Hmm. Kind of tells you something about why the left likes him so much, huh? Mm, I'm getting all these emails about mental health awareness. What have I done? (laughs) I I guess it's mental health awareness. Have you all noticed we got all these like this month is this awareness month? I, I mean, next month is all like pride month. Everybody goes goes rainbow. Um, and you're not allowed to have anything else. But all these other months, you've got Mental Health Awareness Month and all these other just, just things. And I don't have a good compendium of them, but I guess that's why I'm getting all these. You should take charge of your mental health. What what have I done? Nothing. All right. Phone number, 877 973 7425, should you wish to be on the program. Chip, you're gonna be up next. Chip, welcome. Hey, uh, good afternoon, how are you doing today? Good, how are you? I I got a question, and maybe it's because of my Georgia education. Why does none of the reporters get the press secretary to define the word MAGA? She seems to do this on a daily basis. Talking about the MAGA Republicans, why don't they get her to say, "Well, what does MAGA really stand for?" Yeah, you know, um, I well, part of it is, I guess, the the press corps just isn't that smart, um, and you know, you don't want to ask her a question you don't really know the answer to because Lord knows what she'll say, and she's so dumb she'll probably say something that hurts Joe Biden and not actually uh, MAGA. I, I y'all, I I'm I'm sorry, but. Karine Jean-Pierre is not a bright person. She has got to be the dumbest press secretary. And I know Democrats will say, well, you're a partisan. Of course, you'd say that. No, 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 no. Jen Psaki was a good press secretary. Bill Clinton had good press secretaries. Jay Carney was a fine press secretary for uh, t- for for Barack Obama. Uh, but my gosh, uh I- Green Jean-Pierre is not a smart person. She stares at her binders for answers. She steps on herself all the time, contradicts herself. She's just not good at the job. But she's like, the, the, what's Sam Brixton or whatever, the, 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 the non-binary dude who sold the suitcases? He was just a diversity pick. So is she. You, you don't put someone that dumb in that position unless it's just a diversity pick. And that's that's where we are. She is not a bright person, and she says repeatedly stupid things. Uh, it's just absolutely weird to me that they would put someone who regularly screws up as badly as she does in that position and leave her there, and it's so obvious they brought John Kirby over there to be able to see her because or to be able to help because she's on stage terrible. It's just remarkable. All right, I, I gotta move on to other stuff. Oh wait, what's this? Um, the, um, 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 up um, uh, there we go. Up. Oh, this is now breaking from the New York Times. This just hit the wires. About Dianne Feinstein again. Uh, When she arrived at the Capitol last week after more than two months absence, recovering from shingles, she appeared shockingly diminished using a wheelchair with the left side of her face frozen and one eye nearly shut. She seemed disoriented. Feinstein's frail appearance was the result of several complications after she was hospitalized with shingles, some of which she has not publicly disclosed. The shingles spread to her face and neck, causing vision and balance impairments and facial paralysis known as Ramsey-Hunt syndrome. The virus brought on a previously unreported case of encephalitis, a rare but potentially debilitating complication of shingles, according to two people familiar with the senator's diagnosis. Characterized by swelling of the brain, post-shingles encephalitis, can leave patients with lasting memory or language problems, sleep disorders, bouts of confusion, mood disorders, headaches, and difficulties walking older patients tend to have the most trouble recovering. And even before the latest illness, Ms. Feinstein had already suffered substantial memory issues that had raised questions about her mental capacity. The grim tableau of her reemergence on Capitol Hill laid bare, a bleak reality known to virtually everyone who has come into contact with her in recent days. She was far from ready to return to work when she did, and she's now struggling to function in a job that demands long days constant engagement on a variety of crucial policy issues and high stakes decision-making. My goodness. There you go. People close to her joke privately that perhaps when she is dead, she will start to consider resigning. That's a line in the piece. All right. That's sad. Um, she So I, one of the reporters circulating this says, uh, in the years I dealt with Feinstein and her staff, the number one rule was she would never be moved on any issue unless she was ready. No one could convince her otherwise. And when she was ready to get back to Washington, she was ready to get back to Washington. So she was ready to get back to Washington. There you go. It's all sad to see this play out. Uh, Particularly the left and their agenda is is so much so to bashing her. So um, let the poor woman be. All right. Uh, I got to get into uh, some stories here uh, about the debt ceiling. Uh, The the left is now out claiming, uh, particularly in the Senate, they want Joe Biden to deploy the 14th Amendment. So the 14th Amendment strategy from the Democrats is because the 14th Amendment says the debts of the United States must be honored, therefore the president uh, now has the power of the purse. Top aides to President Biden, Kevin McCarthy, continue negotiating directly over the budget. Several liberal lawmakers are pushing for a 14th Amendment option some Senate Democrats were circulated a letter urging Biden to prepare to invoke the 14th Amendment to resolve the debt ceiling standoff without involving Congress, according to a copy obtained by the Washington Post ahead of its release. House Democrats are collecting signatures for a discharge petition to move legislation that would raise the debt ceiling without any other policy changes. The Senate letter signed by five Democrats reflects growing unease among White House allies over the direction of the negotiations. Why? Because... The Democrats are willing to consider work requirements as part of welfare programs. Joe Biden took this position in the 1990s. I introduced a a concept of workfare in 1986. I remember being pilloried by my colleagues on the Democratic side at the time uh, for suggesting that there be mandatory work requirement for anyone receiving welfare. We hear speech after speech after speech about changing the ethic that is uh, involved in, quote, the welfare syndrome. We just heard our our good friend from North Carolina talk about the generational nature of this problem and how to break the spiral and so on. Well, uh, part of that is to, in fact, not just take people off of welfare and put them on the streets, but put them to work and make them want to go to work and make it reasonable for them to go to work. So that was Joe Biden in the 1990s. He was fine with work requirements for welfare. Here's the insufferable Katie Porter, Congresswoman from California. So if you were Janet Yellen and you were meeting with Jamie Dimon, Jane Frazier, Brian Moynihan today, what would you say? Um, I would tell them to pressure the Republican uh, officials that they donated to and that they funded to do right by our economy. Um, At the end of the day, this is really coming down to are Republicans willing to hijack the economy and harm the American people in order to try to get their political um, goals across the finish line for our future budget. Are you sure it's fair to just say it's only on the Republicans at this point? We've got 13 days and it appears that the president is willing to give a little a little bit on work requirements for welfare here's what he said yesterday i'm not going to accept any work requirements that's going to impact on medical health needs of people i voted years ago for the work requirements that exist but it's possible there could be a few others but not anything of any consequence are you willing to support a bill that does include some increased work requirements for things like snap food stamps or tanf cash aid maybe medicaid These work requirements are designed to punish people who need help. Everybody would love to be having a full-time job, being able to make ends meet, and not being relying on these government programs. The research is really clear. These work requirements simply don't work to force people into the marketplace. What they do do is inflict harm on children and our seniors. Uh, A bunch of left-wing studies, not actually objective studies. The objective studies all show that it's fine. Uh, It causes people to go to work who otherwise wouldn't, um, and that's a good thing. But the Democrats are furious on this. The Democrats don't want Joe Biden to compromise, so what liberals in the Senate want Joe Biden to do is deploy the 14th Amendment option, which isn't really an option. If Republicans— If Republicans— decided to pull something out of the Constitution that in 220 some odd years had never been used before, really 150 years um, when it comes to the 14th Amendment, and they, they tried to get Donald Trump or any Republican to use it, the media would be howling about authoritarianism. The press would be furious with the Republicans using a never-before-used line in the Constitution to do something no one ever contemplated, and the history of the line makes clear was it to be used. So the line in the Constitution says that the debts of the United States will be honored. Why was that put there? Because if you actually read the arguments and debates at the time, it was because the Republicans who pushed the 14th Amendment were deeply concerned Democrats could take back Congress after the Civil War and in so doing refuse to pay the pensions of Union soldiers. So they included that line. It has nothing to do with the appropriation of funds. Just that the debts must be honored. It doesn't mean you got to pay the debts. You just can't get out of the debts. You can't waive off the debts. You still have to get the money from Congress. It did not purport to change the power of the purse and give it to the president. And in the 150 years since the 14th Amendment was, was applied, no one, literally no one thought that you could get around the debt ceiling with that language. But five Democrats in the Senate have decided you can. If the Republicans did this, the media, the press corps would be burning them down over authoritarianism. You're turning the president into a king, giving him the power of the purse. But these Democrats doing it, the press is absolutely silent. Absolutely uh, non, um, no intellectual curiosity. I don't know about the editorial pages completely silent, condemning them on this. Because it's all about power. It's never been about principle. It's about power. And they're fine with Joe Biden having the power. If a future Republican president were to do it, they would bellyache and scream. But right now, it's Joe Biden, and they're perfectly fine with him doing it. Their hypocrisy knows no bounds. The reality here is that they got to come up with a deal. Now, Patrick McHenry, congressman from North Carolina, says no deal forthcoming. Uh, He feels like they're at a standoff. Other Republicans say that a deal is coming, they expect something to happen, and that the president of the United States is cutting a deal with the GOP. And that has horrified Democrats in the House and Senate because they know it's going to come with cuts to jobs. They know it's going to come with a compromise on work requirements and that that will be – it won't be a lot to reduce the national debt, but it will be a start and it will set the president precedent for future negotiations – and the Democrats are scared to death of what Joe Biden will compromise on. I think they probably would prefer him to stay in Asia and let Kamala Harris handle it, but he's not going to. Now, I want you to call Vision Computers. If you are got a business and you need computers for your business and you can't afford an IT department, Vision Computer can take that for you. I mean, the, your employees are too embarrassed to talk to your nerdy IT guy who lectures them on how to use Let them call Vision. Vision. Call Vision. Let them help. Vision Computer will pick up the phone. You're not going to be in, in like, the... the uh, hell of press one, press two, press one, press five, press three. They're just going to answer the phone. 404 Compute. Call Vision Computer. Let them build the computers for your company. Call them and tell them if you need a computer for your home, if you need a computer for your kid, if you don't have the wherewithal to maintain the IT support, to maintain the computer, Vision can remotely connect in and help you with email. They can help you with your printer. They can oftentimes just remote in. You don't even have to take your computers to them to let them fix them. If you want their support, their tech support for your existing computers, but you didn't buy your computers provision vision for a low annual fee. They'll even take that on for you. They are hands on, they're great, and they answer the phones, they help. And they answer your questions, they make it easy, and they don't make you feel like an idiot. It's another good thing. Go to visioncomputers.com. If you call them 404computer, ask about the Eric Erickson special. You're not going to find that on their website. But if you call them and ask about the Eric Erickson special, they're going to give you a great deal. Now, the cool thing here, and you need to think about this, particularly if you're a business, is you want to sit with someone, not buy off the shelf, but go with what your business actually needs. Allow them to get you a computer that is not overpriced. That is timely for you, that can maintain over time, upgrade as you need it without blowing your budget, and get great tech support. That's why Vision exists. VisionComputers.com or 404-Compute. Hello, America. It's Eric Erickson. The phone number, 877-973-7425. Jack, you're going to be up next on The Eric Erickson Show. Welcome. Good afternoon. I just want to say they could have not got a better host to replace the great Rush Limbaugh. I listen oh, man. To every day. And it, and it's, I appreciate and it's it. Really, it's great. So I have one question and a statement. My first question is so there's, I don't remember what they call it in law terms, but when you speak ill of somebody and it's not accurate and it's, it's false, what do they call that? Libel libel or defamation or whatever and i've never understood why it was okay in politics for the opposite side to tell all kinds of lies that that have maybe very little based in truth and why why that's okay and why these people are supposed to be role models for our children and why if it's okay for them to lie why should we think that our children are not going to think it's okay to lie as well (laughs) <laughs> because they're politicians. Um, so the, the reality here, Jack, is that uh, the Supreme Court has a standard for defamation, for libel and slander. Uh, and the, the standard for defamation is that there must be malice when talking about someone else, uh, about a politician. So for you and me, if I were to come out and accuse you of some awful thing that isn't true, you being private citizen could sue me. But if it's a politician, the standard is much higher. And that standard is uh, that that you flat out know it's not true and you mean it to be, uh, you intend it to be a harmful thing for that person. Politicians have for years said awful things about each other. And so it is presumed that uh, that harmful, terrible thing you say is not presumed to be Uh, something you intend to really malign the character something it's just what politicians say Uh, and the result of this is it is a really high bar you can say pretty much anything terrible you want about a political opponent who's on the stage uh, who is well-known figure and you can get away with it it is a very hard thing to prove libel and slander in court for someone who is famous Uh, there have been very few successful cases